So here's what I want to share with you tonight. I, I want to I pick up a continuation. If you were in second service today at 1130, you heard me mention this. First service, I, I didn't mention this, but uh, it's, it's second service, I, I mentioned that this evening, I want, to, I want to unpack a little bit further this idea of donkey mission. Um, and, and I want to take a unique approach at this. And here's the reason why, because uh, this donkey mission thing has been stirring in me. And just that phrasing for so many people um, just has the power to set us free. Pastor Al and I were talking about it. Just, just that there's, when you've got a, a, a term for something, it changes things, doesn't it? Because now you have a place to put it. And that's the power of a message like this morning with donkey mission and just that idea of, you know what? I'm on a donkey mission. I'm cool. I'm good. Like, we, all right, God's good. We can do this. I can make it. I can change my perspective because I've got a phrase for it. And so that's the power of, of, of language. That's the power of putting a phrase on it like that. So uh, several months ago, uh, God had showed me that concept of donkey mission. And I had been living in it, and I had shared it a couple of places that I had traveled and went. And then I, I sat down in my gray chair at home, which is where I sit and meet with the Lord, one morning, and I was, I was looking at the story again, and I noticed something very, very interesting in the story that I hadn't seen in my first several passes at it. So, uh, again, if you have your Bible or if you have um, a smartphone, click with me, turn there, uh, and there's going to be a few verses on the screen, but not all the verses, so you may actually want to, to play along. Um, and I will read from my large print uh, Bible. And since I'm in Grand Rapids, I feel compelled to mention that it, it was published by Zondervan. Uh, it matters. It matters. Thank you, Pastor Al. It matters. Got it. Awesome. First Samuel chapter 9. First Samuel chapter 9 is where I want us to, to look tonight. And in, it, it, let me start in verse 1. And again, I don't know if we have this verse or not. It's okay if we don't because I'm going to read it. Here you go. Ready? And this is what we read this morning. There was a Benjamite. A man of standing whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeror, the son of Becherah, the son of Aphiel, a Benjamin. Verse 2, Kish had a son named Saul, that's who we talked about this morning, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Then here's verse 3, and this is where I want us to pick up tonight. Ready? Now, the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost, and Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys take one of the servants with you everyone say servant so watch this so so i was reading this story a, a few months ago in my gray chair at home and and i don't know why i keep referring to it as the gray chair because you've never been in my home office and so it doesn't really matter what color it is except i suppose it matters to me so uh, so i was sitting there and all of a sudden, as I reread this chapter and the next chapter after it, here's, here's what happened. I noticed the word servant, servant, the servant, the servant, the servant, the servant. Six different times in this story of the calling and anointing of Saul, the first king over Israel, I, all of a sudden, the Lord illuminated to me, Saul didn't go alone. He had, for all intents and purposes, ready for this, a team member with him. He had a team member with him. And so as I was reading this a few months ago, all of a sudden, it, I just felt like at every occasion of the word servant, it jumped off the page at me, and God started to show me, this is what the ultimate team player looks like. This is what a team player looks like. This is the kind of person you want on your team. 
Now, here's what I know. Every one of us are on a team of some kind, aren't we? Most all of us are gainfully employed in some level, I would suppose, and that means you're on a team. Most of us are probably married in the room, or a majority of us, let's say, are married in the room. That means you're on a team. If you have children, you're on a team. If you have parents, you're on a team. See what I'm saying? So every one of us are on a team. When you're a part of this church, you're on a team. When you serve in one of your serve teams here on the weekends or on Wednesday nights or some other ministry opportunity you have, guess what? You're on a team. So what does it mean to be an awesome team player? That's what I want to talk about tonight. I want us to look at the six occasions where this idea, where, where God gives us detail into what a good team player, what an awesome team player, what the ultimate team player looks like. And because all of us are on the team, it's instantly relevant. So let's begin looking at it. Verse 3, it says, Kish, Saul's dad, looked at him and said, Hey, listen, I lost some donkeys. Take one of your servants with you. What, is it, what does an awesome team player look like? Number one, he was available. He was available. This servant was available, which, by the way, I need to tell you this. The first four are going to be pretty easy to swallow. The last two you may need to take a phone call or something because we're going to get down, we're going to get a little dirty. Is that, is that all right with everybody? If we let the Lord do a little convicting on us, that's what we're going to do tonight. Number one, he was available. Everyone say available. This servant was available. And it's interesting to me because we really don't know too much about him at this point other than Kish, Saul's dad, said, hey, I want you to go look for the donkeys and don't go alone. Well, I would imagine that Saul at that point kind of looked at all of the servants, the employees in the household of his dad, Kish, and he was like, hey, so my dad wants me to go look for some donkeys. Um, who wants to go? And in my mind, I imagine that everybody, almost the vast majority of the team around Saul in that moment went like this. What's that? Oh, no. Um, hey, oh, oh. Yeah, I got a, I got a, th I got a thing, and oh man, I gotta be home, and ah, I'd love to, but my mom won't let me. I would imagine that when Saul cast vision for the donkey mission, there were not too many people that were like, pick me, pick me, pick me, right? Like, who wants to go on a donkey mission? But for some reason that, again, Scripture doesn't really enlighten us to, this dude said yes. Yeah, man. I'll go. I'm available. Whatever it takes. Question, church. Do you have a, yeah, I'm in, attitude on the team you're on? Or do you have a, oh, oh, oh. Don't pick me, don't pick me, don't pick me, don't pick me. Attitude. Because I think God's looking for a church full of people with a, yeah, the answer is yes. What's the question? Where are we going? Mission doesn't matter. I'm in. I'm in. Kish needs me. Saul needs me. Dad needs me. The father needs me. I'm in. Put me in, coach. I'm in. I'll do it. I'll go. This servant was available. 
And I'm just challenging you tonight with, to ask yourself the question, what kind of attitude do I have? Do I have a put-my-head-down attitude or a raise-my-hand kind of attitude? That's big, isn't it? That's big. So the first time we see this, this interaction, the first time we see the servant mentioned is in verse 3. The second time we see it is in verse 6. Do you have that verse, guys? Verse 6 says this. Uh, so, so let me fast forward the story. And remember, you heard most of the story this morning. Let me fill in a little of the details. So they go, Saul, they go all over the Cilicia, the, the territory of Benjamin. Remember, they travel all over the hill country of Ephraim, wherever they were, Ephraim, the whole deal. And then Saul wants to give up, Remember? And so Saul is like, you know what, forget it, let's just go home. My dad's going to start worrying about me, I'm a big deal, and stop worrying about the donkeys. And then this is the second moment we see the servant. Verse 6, it says this, but the servant replied, look, in this town there's a man of God. He is highly respected and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now, perhaps he will tell us the way to take. Remember from this morning, when Saul wanted to quit, the servant, number two, write it down, was knowledgeable. What does it mean to be an awesome team player? Here's what it means. It means to be available, to have a raise your hand, not put your head down attitude. Number two, he was knowledgeable. He was knowledgeable. It's interesting to me that the servant knew where the prophet was and Saul didn't. Isn't it interesting? Is it possible that Saul was so self-absorbed that he had no idea the greater thing God was doing around him. But the servant did. The servant had his ears up. The servant wasn't so absorbed in his ministry, wasn't so absorbed in his deal, wasn't so absorbed in, in his little corner of the world, his piece of responsibility, that he was, he was not in touch with the bigger picture. The servant was knowledgeable of the state of the times and seasons of what was going on around him. He knew enough to know that the prophet was in the next town over. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of team members I like to have around me. I like to have team members around me who, who don't just have their head down, who, who are knowledgeable about what's going on. I like to have team members around me who are spirit-led. That the servant was sensing something in his spirit. We know this because God was all over this story and because God was trying to choose Saul to be the first leader over Israel. Well, God allowed the Holy Spirit to stir in the servant's heart to go, whoa, 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 whoa. let's don't quit. Let's go, let's go find, there's a prophet nearby. He was spirit-led. Here's the second question tonight, church. Ready? Number one, are you available? Do you have a hand up or a head down attitude? Number two, are you knowledgeable? Are you in touch with what's going on? And let me say this, the servant was willing to risk rejection because Saul was trying to quit. The boss was trying to quit the mission. And the team member looked at the boss and said, I don't think we should quit. I have a different idea. He was not only willing to raise his hand, he was willing to risk rejection. What about us? What about us? If we were put in the same set of circumstances, would we have just put our head down and went, well, boss wants to quit. I guess we'll just... Even though we felt something stirring, even though we knew that there was another option out there, see, awesome team members, all ultimate team members are knowledgeable, they're spirit-led, they're willing to speak up and risk rejection even if retribution comes to them. So is our head up to the bigger thing 
Or are we so down in our thing that we're missing the greater thing that God's up to? Are we staying in tune with the Spirit? Are we willing to speak up and risk rejection even, even if we feel like we have information that could be helpful in the scenario? Because this team member, that's exactly what he did. So he was available. He was knowledgeable. Then Saul, remember, is like, yeah, man, and he starts making excuses in verse 7, remember? And so Saul starts making all these excuses. We don't have any food. We don't have any money. My dad didn't give us enough resources to get the job done effectively. And then in verse 8, we see number 3. Look at verse 8. The servant answered him again. Look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us the way to take. Number 3, he was responsible. Everyone say responsible. He was responsible. So Saul was out of money, but the servant wasn't. Interesting, isn't it? See, good team members in our life, good team players in our life. Man, someone should send a copy of this talk to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I just feel compelled that maybe they need a little more teamwork, a little less LeBron, a little more everybody else. <laughs> That's the loudest amen I got the whole message. Unbelievable. Easy, big man. It's interesting to me that the servant had extra resources even though Saul had run out. Couple of thoughts. Couple of thoughts. Number one, is your personal financial house in order to the degree that you can be helpful when a need arises? Because don't you love team members who, who have their personal financial house in order to a degree? That when a need arises, they're like, yeah, sure, how much? What, what do we got to do? This guy didn't even hesitate. When Saul's like, I don't have any money, and Dad didn't give me enough resources, the servant's like, I got it. I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I'm cool. I'll, well, I'll cover it. I'll pay the guy, and that will cover us. Singular to plural. He not only had enough to cover himself, he had enough to cover Saul as well. See, he was responsible. Here's a second question around this idea of responsibility. Number one is our personal financial house in order to a degree that we would be able to sacrifice for the vision and the mission if we could. And number two, notice he wasn't keeping score. Did Saul ever pay him back? Did it matter? Like, did the servant go home, like, after the whole anointing service and the whole deal? And be like, oh, hey, by the way, man, write it down somewhere. You owe me a quarter, bro. Are we, are we keeping score? Well, if they knew how many hours I put in around here. Well, if they knew how much I sacrificed. Or are we just so passionate about the vision that it's like, nah, dude, it doesn't matter. I got, it. I got you covered, bro. We got this. We got this. See, the servant in the story with Saul was responsible. His personal financial house was in order to, to the degree that he was able to sacrifice for the vision when the need arose. And he was so in love with the mission and the vision of the father and of Saul, the son, that he, was, he didn't keep track. He didn't keep score. He was just willing to sacrifice for the vision to go, whatever it takes to get the job done, let's do it. 
I, if it costs a quarter of a shekel of silver, cool, man, I'll cover it for both of us. We're good. Let's go. The servant, the team member was responsible. He was responsible. So here's some questions for us tonight. How's our personal house? Is our personal house in order to the degree that we can be generous like the Lord would want us to be generous? How's our personal house? Secondly, then, are we keeping track? Are we keeping score of every sacrifice? Or are we just in love with the vision? Number three, he was responsible. Okay, so, so i got to explain number four here for a second. Number four, write it down. He was promotable. We're talking about what, it, what, what, a, what an awesome team member looks like. And since we're all on a team... I think these are great guidelines for us. And when we examine the life of the servant in the story with Saul, we start to see what matters most on a team to be a team member in God's economy. He was available. I love that. He was knowledgeable. He was responsible. And then number four, he was promotable. Everyone say promotable. Okay. So remember what happens. Saul and the servant start to head toward the town where the prophet Samuel is. They get intercepted by the young ladies. Remember, we talked about that this morning. And the young ladies are like, yep, the prophet's right up there. If you go this way and that way, he has to pray before they eat the sacrifice or whatever. And so you got to catch him before he goes in. And so Saul and the servant are like, great, we got it. Let's go. So they take off. And then when they get there, Samuel sees Saul. Remember, he has the flashback from the day before. He's like, holy smokes, this is the guy I'm supposed to anoint. This guy is going to be the next or the first king over God's people in Israel. And so Samuel grabs Saul and he's like, bro, you got to come to this banquet with me. And so Samuel the prophet grabs Saul, the soon-to-be king. And in verse 22, check this out. Verse 22, then Samuel brought Saul and his servant huh into the hall check this out and seated them at the head of those who were invited about 30 in number number four an awesome team member is promotable it doesn't say that he saw Saul and brought Saul up to the head table but made the servant hang in the back what does it say? It says he brought Saul and the servant to the head table in front of everybody else that was there. Watch this. The servant's life was such, so godly, was so um, um, in tune with the Spirit, was so in line with the Word of God that Saul didn't flinch at the thought of his servant sitting next to him at the head table. Saul gives no indicator in Scripture that Saul was like, oh wait, you want us both to sit up there? Yeah, no, he'll be fine. Just let him sit in the back. It says that Samuel the prophet grabbed Saul and said, hey man, I want you in the, come here, I need you at the head table too. And Saul and the servant sat at the head table. The servant's life was promotable. Nothing in the servant's life made Saul flinch. Question. 
Is there anything in your life that if your leader knew about it, they'd flinch? Mm. Is there anything in your life that if whoever your department head is, your team head is, your spouse, your parents knew about it, it would make them flinch at the thought of promotion. If so, then guess what? That's what we got to deal with tonight. That's why you're here. That's why we got to be here. That's why we got to do business with God. Because God's looking for team members in his kingdom, in his house, that are promotable. That can come to the head table when they're called. And the leaders around them won't go, oh, oh, oh. No, they'll just wait in the car. It's cool. They'll just go through drive-thru. You don't want that. No, no, no. It's fine. The servant was promotable. The fourth place we see in this story where the servant arises is when Samuel doesn't just call Saul up to the head table. He calls the servant up to the head table as well. Is our lifestyle promotable? Search me, oh God, and see if there would be anything in me that would make the master flinch. So, I told you the first four would be palatable. They'd be easier. You ready for the last two? I don't know if you're ready. Come on, look at the person sitting next to you and say, you ready? Come on, ask him. You ready? You ready? Okay. So, our story of... of God choosing and anointing Saul as the first king over Israel this morning ended essentially right here. Samuel sees Saul, Saul sees Samuel, God speaks to Samuel, that's the guy. Boom, we end, bring out the keyboard, we pray, everybody goes to lunch. Did I get that right? But that's not how the story actually ends. As a matter of fact, the story is just getting started. So Samuel calls Saul and his servant up to the head table for the banquet. So they're all sitting there with Rick Warren being awesome, doing the deal, having lunch. And then they dismiss the banquet, and guess what happens? Saul and Samuel and the servant, the three of them, take off walking down the road. And in verse 27, here's what it says. As they were going down to the edge of town... Samuel said to Saul, look at this, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so. Number five, the servant was willing to be invisible. We're talking about what an awesome team player looks like. The servant was willing to be invisible invisible. So watch this. This is crazy to me. When, when God showed this to me a few months ago in my gray chair, I was like, what? In the same what? Two hour period of time, the servant gets promoted to the head table and then in the very next scene gets dismissed. They dismiss the crowd. Hey, everybody, have a great week. Awesome, cool, thanks. See ya. 
Samuel, Saul, and the servant go walking out, and as soon as they get to the edge of town, Samuel, the prophet, looks at Saul and goes, hey, we need to have a private conversation. Can you tell him to get lost? Ever been put out of a room? How'd you feel? How'd it make you feel? Probably like me, not very good, right? But Scripture tells us and indicates that when Saul looked at the servant and was like, hey man, we need to have a private conversation. Can you dismiss yourself? Can you go on ahead of us so we can talk privately? The servant was like, yeah man, whatever it takes. I got you. Question, church. Are we willing to be invisible when God needs us to be? Are we willing to be invisible when God needs us to be? One of the privileges of my life is I, I am, Sarah and I serve on the board um, of directors for the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, which is ARC, the ARC, um, it, which is a church planting organization. And in the last 16 or 17 years, the ARC has planted over 750 churches. It's absolutely incredible. It is one of the premier, if not the premier, church planting organization in the United States of America and arguably in the world, perhaps. Like, these guys know how to plant churches. And, and yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> And so I have the privilege of, of serving on the board of directors for that, which now there's about 20 of us that are, that are kind of that board level, right? But there is, there's the board that's about 20 of us, but then there is what they call the executive board, which is about six of them. And it's kind of the original six that were the original six who formed the ARC 17 years ago. And so we get together two or three times a year, and, and literally there are times when the, the members of the, the original six, the executive leadership team of the ARC, literally will look at the other 14 of us and say, we'll be in the middle of a conversation, and we'll be talking, and we'll be sharing ideas, and drawing on boards, and do, like we are solving problems that are going to impact tens of thousands of people's lives through church plants all over the world now, and literally there'll be moments in time where the conversation will come to a screeching halt, and one of the members of the executive leadership team will look at the other 14 of us and say, you know what, we actually need to have a private conversation right now, can all of you leave the room? Like literally we get up and leave the room, and guess what? It is an absolute privilege and joy for me to get up in that moment and leave the room. You know why? Because there are some conversations I don't need to be involved in. And for whatever reason, God doesn't need me in the room for that decision. You know what he needs me to be? Out in the hallway praying that those six guys will get it right for Jesus' name's sake. Are we willing to be invisible? Are we willing to have our team leader look at us every now and then and go, actually, man, actually, man, we need to have a private conversation. Because the fifth place that the servant is mentioned in the donkey mission story of the choosing of Saul is when he's sent out. And Samuel looks at Saul and says, hey, man, this is, we need to have a quick private conversation and your servant can't hear this. And Scripture gives us every indicator that he was totally cool with being invisible. Are we? 
Are we okay with being invisible? I told you it was going to get a little harder. And number six gets even harder, okay? So, so the, the servant sends him away. Well, look at this verse, Luke 17, verse 10. I love this. Jesus was talking, and he says in a parable, he says, So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. That's the ultimate place, isn't it? When we can simply go, you know what? It's not about a name. It's not about a title. I'm just here to serve. And if serving means me stepping back, I'm cool with that. That's what Jesus was getting at. Maturity is when we can say that with a pure and clear heart, isn't it? So they continue on walking down the road. Then chapter 9 turns into chapter 10. And this is where, where Saul is anointed. So remember the story. They have the whole anointing ceremony, and Saul is kind of all insecure and hiding out. And so he's hiding behind the supply shelves, and Samuel's like, go get him. Somebody go get him. Bring him out. They anoint Saul, and in that moment, the Spirit of God comes on Saul, and he becomes dun, 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 the first king over Israel. It has finally happened. This is God's man to lead us in a new direction. And then in chapter 10, verse 26, here's the sixth and final mention of the servant. This is crazy. Saul also, it says, so they break up after the anointing ceremony and they take off and head for home. Verse 26 of chapter 10, Saul also went to his home in Gibeah. So Saul, now anointed king, Saul, goes home to his home in Gibeah. Look what it says. Accompanied by valiant, what's the word? Men, plural, whose hearts God had touched. Number six, we're talking about what an awesome team player looks like. He was willing to be replaceable. He was willing to be replaceable. Isn't it interesting that this morning when we started the story, it was Saul and a servant. And where the story ends, after Saul has been anointed king over Israel, it says that when the party finally broke up, that God had so moved on so many amazing warriors, valiant men, that when Saul went home as the new king, the first king over Israel, it wasn't just one servant anymore. There were a whole bunch of them. Crazy, isn't it? Well, guess what? The original servant was probably one of them. Put yourself in that servant's shoes for a second, you guys. Your guy, your boss, your leader just became king. And guess what? It wouldn't have happened without you. Because remember, in verse 5, Saul was ready to quit. And if it hadn't been for the servant in the story, Saul would have given up. If it hadn't been for you... Your guy doesn't become king. You know what that makes you? A big deal. You know what that gives you? 
clout. You know what that means? You have tenure and experience and leverage, right? You know why? Because Saul wouldn't be king without me, bro. And yet, just a short time later, as soon as Saul becomes the man, when he goes home, he doesn't go home with just one servant anymore. He goes home with a whole pack of valiant men. And can I tell you, those men were the best of the best of the best. It says that God had stirred their hearts to be loyal to their king. And how easy would it have been for that servant, the one who sacrificed, the one who was there when it was small, the one who didn't give up on you, Saul, when nobody else was around, the one who followed you all over high heaven looking for some dumb donkeys. How easy would it have been for that servant to go, you know what? I was there when it was hard. These guys haven't put in the time. These guys don't have the the experience we have. They don't have the tenure we have. They haven't served your vision, Saul, for as long as I have. He could have had an entitlement mentality and, and demanded his rights. But instead, we see a servant who, when God knit the hearts of these valiant warriors, these incredible servants of God, to their new king, this servant was willing to go, you know what? If it's their time to shine, if it's their time to be awesome, and I got to back down a little bit, I'm okay with that. I can do that. I'm good. You guys, we don't even know his name. You know what he got as his reward? He got called in the most famous book to have ever been written on planet Earth, the Bible, Servant. Think of all of the dumb names in Scripture that we know that are completely irrelevant. Verse 1 starts them all, right? It was the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, that I don't even know how to pronounce. Why did God, why? Why did God list all of those irrelevant names and yet this dude who changed history, gets called servant? Is it possible it's because because God wants us to be okay with just being called servant? What if nobody ever knows your name? Is it okay? If once the thing starts to take off, there's some other younger, faster, smarter, more talented, more gifted people that God raises up. Question, are we willing to be replaceable? This servant was willing to be replaceable. When God put his hand on the valiant ones and raised them up to serve the new king, this servant said, all in a day's work. I'm cool. 
these young guns need to take over anyway. These young ones need to, they need to have at it. These guys, they're the valiant ones. I'm just a servant. Last question. And then I want us to, to worship a little bit and let this word marinate in our heart. Question. Are you willing to change the world if it means not making a name for yourself? Because this servant changed the world. Saul would have quit if it hadn't been for him. Are we willing to change the world if it means not making a name for ourselves? Because when we can get to the place where we answer that question, yes, then I have a feeling we become the ultimate team player in God's kingdom. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back and join me. And I'm going to invite us to just still our hearts right where we are. Heavenly Father, our expectations are peaked. Heavenly Father, you move. Lord, thank you for this tough word, this difficult word, but this right now timely word. And so God, as we consider these six, I pray over these next few minutes that you would prick our hearts. I pray, God, as we consider these six, that you would challenge us. Father, we give you permission to do what you want to do in us because, Lord, we recognize that if you can do it in us, then you'll do it through us. And God, some of us are so desperate to see you do something great through us that we're forgetting about the in us part first. God, I love that you are not just concerned with talent. You're not just concerned with head and shoulders taller. God, I love that you're actually concerned with us seeing ourselves as a servant. Nothing more, nothing less. Merely servants in the kingdom of God. So Father, would you come and move in this place in the next few minutes? Would you come and speak? Would you come and do what only you can do in our hearts? We ask this in Jesus' name. As the worship team sings over us for the next few minutes and leads us, just allow the Lord to do a work in your heart.